Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read again the first 11 verses. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. Let's hear the word of God. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. We trust and pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now we're turning this morning as we continue our series of messages in the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 2 and my text today is taken from the verses 9 to 11. And my theme this morning is to consider the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Look at your Bible. Listen to verse 9 through to 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11 is an amazing text of scripture. It is clearly a very comprehensive text. It's a text that covers every realm. It takes us to heaven. It brings us to earth. It takes us even into the very depths of hell. Think of things under the earth. It covers things that are temporal, to do with time and sense not. It covers things that are eternal, things that are in the future. It deals with things that are past, things that are present, and things that are to come. It deals with God and God's Son, Jesus Christ, and reveals to us the ultimate purpose of the triune God in the world. And what is that ultimate purpose? That everything is to the glory of God the Father. See, this text is full of spiritual truth and teaching. 
a text that has a lot in a little. A text that really has the stamp of God in it. A few lines. We've read them very quickly. Yet these few lines comprise great theological truths. They bring to a climax the revelation of the exalted glory of the crucified Christ. That's what the text is about. The revelation of the exalted glory of the crucified Christ. So clearly it's very important. It's very comprehensive. It's a text that we could do well to learn. And I would commend this whole passage Philippians 2 verses 5 right through to 11 to, to commit it to memory. And especially you young men and young women could, could do that. Now, I have four things this morning. When I first looked at this passage of scripture, there was four things that I wrote down on a little bit of paper. And here was the first thing. The reason for Christ's exaltation. Look with me at verse 9. Look at the first word. Wherefore. Now, now we'll stop there. It means in light of this, or in view of this. I want you to notice the word therefore as a connective. In other words, here's the reason for Christ's exaltation. And we're brought back then to the verses 6 and 8. And there you find to discover the ground of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. The Son of God is found in his work of redemption. Remember verses 6, 7 and 8 have to do with the self-humbling of the Lord Jesus. Remember his steps of his humiliation. Seven great statements here. Seven steps down. He who is in the heights of glory came down to the very depths of depths itself. Here's the seven steps. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It was not a false claim. It was not a, an exaggeration. Not something that he needed to grasp by force. Equality with God belonged to him as of an intrinsic right. It belonged to him naturally. It belonged to him eternally. It belonged to him lawfully. Secondly, but made himself of no reputation. Made himself of no account. He adopted the mindset of nothingness. Now, he didn't become nothing, but he had the mindset of nothingness. Thirdly, and took upon him the form of a servant. The word servant, we said, was a slave. The lowest form that you could get in the Roman, Roman world. Slave had no rights. Fourthly, and was made in the likeness of man. See, the Lord Jesus had a real, true Manhood. Uh, he was a real, true man of flesh and blood. He was perfect God, yes, 100%. But he was also perfect man, 100%, in one body forever. Let's never forget, the one who was co-equal and co-eternal and co-existent with the Father became a true man and lived out his life in a real human flesh and blood body. Fifthly, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. As a true man, he, he humbled himself, sickly, and became obedient unto death. As the perfect God-man, 
He lived a life of perfect obedience to the law of God. He never sinned. He never broke God's law. He never dishonored God's name. He never told a lie. He, he, he never entertained a sinful thought. He never spoke a, a, a sinful word. He, he, he never sinned against the, the word of God. He was not guilty of rebellion. He, 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 he did not disregard God's honor and God's glory. Jesus Christ was perfectly obedient to the Father at all times and in all ways. Jesus Christ lived a life of perfection unto death. He was active in keeping the law of God perfectly in his life. He was active in his obedience unto death. That in his death he was fulfilling the penalty that the broken law demanded, which was death, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. In other words, he didn't come to do his own thing. He didn't come to earth to escape or get away from his heavenly father. He came to do his father's will. He said in the volume of the book that is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. And what was the father's will for Christ? It was to live a life of perfect obedience unto death. He was obedient in life and obedient in death. Here's the seventh step, even the death of the cross. It's a reference to the horrible death of, by crucifixion. And once we begin to see Calvary in this light, we, we, we discover then that for Christ, there was no turning back from the cross. He was not there against his will. He was not a, a non-willing volunteer. This was not something that shouldn't have happened to Christ. It wasn't that he was taken unawares by the Romans and ended up being crucified by mistake. It was not something that he desired to escape from. No, he went to the cross. And he went to the cross as an obedient son to fulfill the will of the Father. He went to the cross as a, a, a willing servant, the, the righteous servant of the Father. He went to the cross to offer a once and for all sacrifice for sin, an obedient substitute, sin bearer, sin offering, sacrifice on behalf of his people. Now notice verse 8 ends with what? The death of the cross. It ends with a dead Christ. It ends with Christ crucified on the tree. And, and that's where many stop. You, you think of the many Roman Catholic shrines throughout the whole of Ireland to a dead Christ. Think about the crucifix. You know, the world, false religion, tolerates a dead Christ. They can embrace a dead Christ, okay. Uh, they, they could talk about a life of self-denial, a life of self-sacrifice, and use Christ as an example and, and they would call for people in light of his uh, life of self-denial and, and self-sacrifice to, to live a life of self-denial and, uh, and self-sacrifice. That's a part of the message. But that's not the gospel message. And that's not the whole part of the gospel message. Because this is not the end. Verse 8 is not the end of the chapter. The chapter doesn't end at verse 8. Verses 6 to 8 contain the humiliation of Christ. That's in view. But now, look at verse 9. 
Verse 9 to 11 is the exaltation of Christ. That's in view. God, we're discovering, is completely satisfied with the work of Christ on the cross. God is satisfied with his blood atonement. God is satisfied with the work of redemption. And on this ground, and for this reason alone, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And God has given him a name that's above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, this is a tremendous statement of truth. Wherefore, gives us the link, the connective between the end of verse 8 and verse 9. And you've got to take into your mind obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And by the death of the cross, the Father, God the Father, is satisfied with the blood sacrifice of his Son. And here's the proof. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And let the apostates deny the atoning blood shedding of Christ. Let, let the devil roar against it. Let, let men say what they want. It's, it's not their view of Christ that counts. It's God's view. How does God view his son? Well, God the Father satisfied with the blood sacrifice of his son. How do we know that? With his cross work. Because the Bible tells us, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Now, now there's the reason for Christ's exaltation. I want you to think of something else here that I wrote down. The review of Christ's exaltation. You see, if you think of the words, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. When we talk about the exaltation of Jesus Christ to glory, what do we mean? What do we have in view? What are we thinking about? Well, I want you to notice in the review of Christ's exaltation, notice the order here. First, there's the act of humiliation. And then following on is the exaltation. The order is important. Now we're learning something simple, learning something basic. And here's what we're learning. The way up is first the way down. The descent comes first. And then the ascent follows. Now, learn this. The way to rise is to fall at his feet. The way to ascend is first of all to descend to his feet. You see, remember the context. The question of disharmony in the church. And the way to true harmony is the way of true humility. Like Christ, let the Christian learn to humble himself. Remember the problems in the church? There was selfishness, there was bitterness, there was self-centeredness, there was self-importance, self-esteem. And, and how do you deal with that? There, there was pride in the heart. You must deal with it. Yes, that's true, but, but how? Here's the answer, by focusing on Christ. On a Christ that loves you. On a Christ that lived for you an obedient life. A Christ that laid down his life for you in self-denial, in self-sacrifice. 
It's important that you and I possess the mind of Christ. The word mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, means the attitude of Christ. Therefore, it's vital and necessary that you and I learn to humble ourselves before God. Because true humility is vital in the Christian life. A life of self-denial, a life of self-sacrifice, a life of total submission to the will of God. A life lived with a servant's mind and a, and a servant's heart. Remember what the Lord Jesus taught in Luke's Gospel in chapter 14. And I, I think it's the verse 11. I, I trust I've written it down correctly. In Luke 14 and verse 11. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Note the order. He that humbleth himself shall be abased. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You see, the way up is the way down. Jesus Christ lived and Jesus Christ died for others out of love. And it is true, he is our supreme example. He alone, of course, enables us by his grace to, to live for him. We who are in him, we, we live for him. How? Through the strength and the grace and the power that he gives us. And one day, glory to God, we will be with him. Think of the order. Think secondly of the object. What's in view here? The exaltation of Christ. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. We're told in the text that God did this. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. You see, God is the actor here. It was God who exalted him. Notice the word highly. God highly exalted Christ. Not just exalted Christ, but highly exalted Christ. The one who died. The one who shed his blood on the cross. It was God who hath highly exalted him. And it's God that has given him a name. Above every name. The word highly exalted means super exalted. It's a compound word and the Apostle Paul was very fond of using compound words. It means super. It means exceedingly. You see, this is not just a cold doctrine. This is not just a, a cold dogma that learnt out of a textbook or, or learnt uh, at the uh, feet of a school teacher. No, by and through his life of humiliation, God then did something wonderful. God hath highly exalted him. Now think of the exaltation. What does that mean? What does that include? It includes his resurrection from the dead. It includes his ascension to eternal glory. It includes being invited by the Father to sit at his right hand. Remember his position now? Where is he in heaven? He's on the throne. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. He's exalted far above all. He's there now as the God-man to reign and rule over this world of creation as well as over his church. He's there as our mediator and our great high priest. 
He's there as the coming judge who's going to judge the living and the dead at the last day. He's there so that God, the Father, can put all things, all enemies under his feet. You see, the word exalted, it's very rich. It's full of meaning. It's got loads of instruction. And all those things that I've mentioned, when we talk about the exaltation of Christ, that's exactly what we mean. That's what's in view. And that's the object that you should be thinking about. When Christ died, that was not the end of Christ. How do we know? Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Christ died in the tree, yes, but God exalted him. What does that mean? It means he rose again bodily from the dead. He ascended to the celestial glory again. He who had descended from the heights of heights to the depths of depth is now back again at the height of heights. He's seated at God's right hand. He's far above all. He's got a right to rule and reign as the God man. He's there as the mediator. He's coming to judge. You see, without the exaltation of Jesus Christ, his death would mean nothing. You'd be back to the example theory. In order to be an effective saviour, he must also be the exalted saviour. And the humiliation of Christ would mean nothing as all we had is a dead Christ in a tomb. To be effective, he had to be exalted. That's the object. Notice the operator. He was exalted by his father. God did it. And here was, as I've said, repeating it, here was God's stamp of approval on Christ's atoning death and bloodshedding. While he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, it was God the Father who hath highly exalted him. God the Father was involved in raising Christ from the dead because he was satisfied with his blood sacrifice. Christ went to the cross with, remember the promise of the Father. Um, we think of the words in John 17. Um, he uh, says there, um, sorry, in John 10, uh, verse 17, he uh, says this. Uh, he, he makes a tremendous statement. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. It was... Paul in Philippians 3.10 speaks of the power of his resurrection. You see, it's tied into the omnipotence of God. It was all part of God the Father's plan from all eternity. You see, the death of Christ, the life of Christ, the exaltation of Christ was ordered by the Father from all eternity. It, it was no trickery involved. The, 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 the resurrection was not a conjuring trick with bones. No, no, the, the, the resurrection, even that, was a definite, deliberate act of divine power. Because that resurrection bodily of Christ from the dead was all part of how God was going to highly exalt his only begotten son. This was really a reward in that sense for his substitutionary atoning death. A reward for his obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. 
And when God the Father raised his son from the dead, he invited his son to sit at his right hand. And he invested him with tremendous power and glory and honor. And he pronounced him now a, a prince and a saviour. As the judge of all the earth, the living and the dead. And God the Father did this. And I want to just add this. Do you know, he's not waiting to be exalted. This is not a process that's going to happen in, over a period of time. The Lord Jesus is not a king in waiting to be crowned. He's exalted now. He is crowned now, king of kings and lord of lords. And the day of his humiliation is over. The day of his humiliation will never ever return. The day of his exaltation has begun. It begun with the moment of his resurrection. And you know it never ends. One day he was crowned with thorns. One day they spat in his face. One day they slapped him. One day they spurned him and, and mocked him. Heal king of the Jews. But now he's on the throne. He's king of kings. He is lord of lords. He is crowned with glory and power and honour. He's now adored. He's now worshipped in heaven. They cry unto him, worthy is the lamb. Listen to Revelation at chapter 4 and the verse 11. This, this is what it says. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for thou was, hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. I want you to think thirdly and quickly. The result of Christ's exaltation. What does it teach us here? How does it apply to Christ and then to us? But let me suggest this morning that it teaches us that Christ is preeminent. The focus is on Christ. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Underline him. The Father's exalted him. He exalted the crucified, risen Christ. The Father gave him a name that's above every knee. The Father says that every knee will bow. The Father says that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Where is Christ now? He's in the midst of the throne. Revelation 5 and 6. The Bible says in Colossians 1.18 that in all things he might have the preeminence. You see, Jesus Christ is the centre. He's the preeminent one. The focus is on him. Let me ask this morning, is Jesus Christ central in your life? Do you have a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ? And as a Christian this morning, is Christ your central focus? You don't focus on yourself or your situation. You focus on the Saviour. You're not engaging in the worship of self. You're engaging in the worship of the Saviour. Why? Because Christ is preeminent. He's the centre. It's Christ first. Remember the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. Let me tell you something else what it means. It means that Jesus Christ is powerful. Jesus Christ today has all power and authority given unto him 
by the Father to exercise his array. In fact, he says, all power and authority is given unto me. Therefore, go. <coughs> He's Lord of all. He's Lord over angels. He's Lord over demons. He's Lord over the devil. Do you realize that this morning? He's Lord over men. All power is given unto me. And the word power has to do with authority. It has to do with dignity. It has to do with sovereignty. And, and where is power, absolute power, and, and, and dignity, and authority, and sovereignty? Who does it belong to? It belongs to the risen, exalted Christ. Jesus Christ this morning is a sovereign king. is an absolute control over all things. At all times. And everything that happens is for his glory and the good and well-being of his church. Doesn't the Bible teach that he's head over all things to the church? See, let me tell you something this morning. All that Jesus Christ did in these seven steps of humiliation, even the death of the cross, in all that he did and all that happened in his exaltation, he did it for his church. He did it for his bride, the church. That's why the Bible says, exhorting husbands, husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. This life of self-sacrifice, this life of self-denial. This was for the good and the well-being of his church. He's been to see that here's a pattern for us. Here's footsteps for us to follow in. This is not just a truth, not just a doctrinal statement, but this is a practical thing. If this is what Christ did, and he did it for his bride, then, then we as Christian husbands, then, then we can love our wives and pray that God will help us to love them just as Christ loved the church. Christ is powerful. He's powerful over all creation. I want you to see also here quickly that Jesus Christ is pastorally triumphant. Not just preeminently triumphant. Not just powerfully triumphant, but pastorally triumphant. You see, Jesus Christ is visually triumphant overall in this text of Scripture. Look with me at verse 9. Sorry, verse 10. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven. That, that has to do with angels. So, so all the angels are going to bow. To Jesus Christ. Because he's sovereign. Because he has power and authority. And things in earth. That, that is men are going to bow. To Jesus Christ. All men. Christians and non-Christians alike. Notice also. And things under the earth. That's a reference to the devil. And all the dominions of hell. And verse 11. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. There will not be one tongue. Not one voice against him. The all victorious. Visually triumphant. 
powerful Son of God is declared to be by angels and men and even the devils in hell, Lord of all and Lord forever. And you know, that event is going to happen. It's absolutely sure and it's absolutely certain. And you wouldn't have to put a bet on it. I want you to notice lastly the response to Christ's exaltation. You see, this is really, I believe, an encouragement to true humility. If Jesus Christ is exalted, then we've got to dethrone self. We've got to follow his example. We've got to engage in a life of true worship, a life of obedience to him, a life of faithful service. We'll not be proud. We'll not be self-seeking. We'll, we'll look to Christ. We'll focus on him. We, 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 we live to exalt him in our lives for his glory. This is also an encouragement in the midst of trials. Maybe you're thinking of your trials this morning, the situations you face, the, the problems and the difficulties you have. But look at our text. Think about it in, in the whole. Jesus Christ endured the death of the cross. And as he faced that death of the cross, he, he no doubt was strengthened and helped by the grace of God in the midst of that or horrible ordeal. Was it painful for Christ? Was it horrible for Christ? The answer is yes. But do you know that there's encouragement even as we see Christ and his death on the cross. And the encouragement is this. That God can transform the most grotesque of human sins that are against us and bring them to great triumph by his own power. God has a plan and purpose for your life. Do you know there's a story told, a true story of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I think he was a young man, uh, maybe around about 20 year, years of age. And for, for, for a week he, he didn't preach. He was about to quit preaching. And he got strength to return through this very text of scripture, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. He was enduring a big trial. Let me tell you what happened. He was in Surrey Street Garden Music Hall preaching. There was something like 10,000 people there. It was October the 19th, 1856, I think it was. And somebody shouted fire. You imagine 10,000 people in the building and somebody shouting fire. The balcony's collapsing. The walls are about to fall in and people started to run, scream and shout. There was people wanting out and there was people who were on the outside wanting in and couldn't understand the confusion. And of course, this was uh, something that was orchestrated by Spurgeon's enemies who were jealous of him and jealous of his ministry. And um, there were seven people dead. There was many people injured at the end of it. After that happened, he didn't preach for a week. He thought he was going to quit. He was in the throes of depression. And then God then brought this text of scripture. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And despite the horrible ordeal of Christ and the cross. What did God do? He turned it into a great triumph. The greatest triumph of all time. 
God exalted him. And he took encouragement from that trial. And he continued on preaching. There's also an encouragement here to evangelism. We should strive to reach sinners with the gospel. We should tell the lost now without Christ to bow the knee now. To, to flee to the wrath to come. We, we should want to mention him to others. We want to magnify him by our life and lip. We, we want to make much of Christ. We, we, we want to say to sinners, today is the day of salvation. Isn't that what the Bible says? 2 Corinthians 6 and 2, today is the day of salvation. Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Humble yourself now. Come to God and confess your sin now. Let go of your self-love now. Let, let go of the fact that, that you think, I don't need to be saved. Or, or let go of the notion, I need the church to save me or the pastor to save me. Because remember, salvation is of the Lord. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's an encouragement here to evangelism, to, to go out and tell others. Do you know why? Because one day, and I close with this, because of Christ's supremacy over all creation, because he's on the throne now and complete supremacy over the church, one day, every creature on the universe will bow before the exalted Christ. The emphasis on the universality of Christ's lordship and exaltation of those in heaven, earth, and under the earth, the angels, They'll bow willingly. Jesus Christ is Lord. On earth, the penitent, they've already bowed willingly. They've tasted the grace of God. They, 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 they have tasted the saving power of God. Others who refuse to bow, I think of apostates. I think of Christ's rejectors and Christ's deniers. I think of the powerful men that ever lived. I think of kings in the throne. I think of evil drug lords. They'll all bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And think about under the earth, Satan and all the hordes of hell and every tongue. They'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the honour that will be given to God is also given to the Son. Because as we honour the Father, we honour the Son because Jesus Christ is God. Here's the response to the exaltation. You take encouragement this morning. The spirit of humility. Take encouragement in your trials. Because God can turn things around triumphantly. Take encouragement as far as evangelism is concerned. Take encouragement as far as your personal salvation is concerned. Bow the knee now to the Saviour. Today. Don't leave it, because the day will come. Even when you're dead, you think, it doesn't matter. I want to tell you, when you're dead, your body will be resurrected, your soul will be reunited with your body, and you will be brought body and soul, and you will kneel at the feet of Christ, and you'll declare, Jesus Christ is Lord. So better now than in eternity, in hell for all eternity.